tuned in to Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. here on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. It's Friday Night Live, and Joe Paris isn't here. So this is uh, this is going to be one of those one of those what do they, what do they call them fun shows? Um, I am Andrew Hobner, your host tonight, and with me are two of VSN's best trying to figure out wires and headphones. I wish I could. I wish I could show this scene right now. It's, it's... I, just, I have to figure out how to put on the headphones <laughs> without messing up my hair. That's a bigger problem for me <laughs> than it is you. Well, you know what it, it reminds me of? What, just watching you two do that is, is a scene within Zoolander where they're trying to. They're like, "Oh, the files are in the computer," and they start disassembling the, the computer. Yeah, they start yeah. like banging on it, making making sounds and stuff. It's it's pretty funny. In case you didn't know who two of BSN Denver's best were, I really hope that you would at this point if you were following. Any CU Buffs content. It's Ryan Konigsberg and Jake Shapiro. Gentlemen, how are you? Feeling good? Feeling nice? I'm great. It's yeah. Friday night. Feeling good. It's still good. too cold for me outside. You're from you're what one could consider to be a Chicago Boulder, like, dual native. So, cold should be in your blood. No. I just, I want to move to Santa Monica. He doesn't get a claim, Colorado. Yeah, well, you went to high school here, right? You, yeah. Yeah. You can, I don't care. I think you could. This is great. This is exactly what you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was yeah, like, so, hey, you're right. He's <laughs> the one who told the listeners what they were going to get. I'm just bringing it to him. <laughs> right. No Jake, doubt. Jake Shapiro on getting talked down to by his boss on his on Shapiro. This is Shapiro's not what game. we are like off the air. Just <laughs> just FYI. Andrew is exactly like how he is on the air, off the air. I was Me about and to, Ryan yeah. completely different. Yeah, you guys are you guys are nice. It's like it's surprising. Ryan's hostile on there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty hostile. Just always. It's not that I'm hostile. I'm you're just snarky. extremely you're snarky. sassy and sassy. snarky. As soon as, as, soon as me and you're the last two people left on Media Row, you just let your guard down and you're just... Oh, yeah. Well, I you're mean... Just, you go at it. <laughs> like that, the, the whole picture you posted of that girl just mean mugging Brett Brady's shot. Oh, yeah. That, that's what happens when me and Ryan get bored after all our content's uploaded. Hashtag content. Hashtag content. I love it. Well, we what, gotta... we, what do we finish at this month? 84? 84 posts in the month of November for me and Ryan. Oh, impressive. Gentlemen, thank that's... Thank you, thank you. You know, I gotta, I gotta find a... Hang on. While, while I intro who's gonna be calling into our show tonight, I'm also gonna give you guys a little... Par, a little party hat sound effect so you can... So we can celebrate those well, 84 Zach posts. Zach Ranke just signed with the Diamondbacks. Wow. Ooh, baseball. That's baseball. That's huge. Okay, so first, if I can get this right. Once again, the NL West getting better around the Colorado Rockies. There we go. 84 posts in the month of November. Yeah. What you know? There Just you buffs, by the way. That's almost three a day, if you don't know math. <laughs> so 84 posts, and tonight we actually have a really good show for you as well. Associate Athletic Director Lance Carl will be dropping in with us. We'll be talking uh, football budget, athletic department budget, the new indoor practice facility, and also coaching changes that uh, have come in other sports and whether or not coaching changes uh, will come for the University of Colorado football program. So Lance Carl will be joining us in about 10 minutes to kind of talk our general potpourri of buff subjects. 
Yes. Yes. Shap. Potpourri. Potpourri. Spell it. P O T P O U R R I. You got it. Yeah. I'm smart. I watched that DJ Khaled words of motivation where he's like, "You smart." And another you one. Really smart. Another, another one. one. <laughs> another one. Made me feel. It made me feel really smart. I certainly felt intelligent about myself after watching that. Another one. Well, that's all that really matters. Of course. Well, in addition uh, to Mr. Carl, we will also have the Rumbling Buff back again, Mr. Ben Burrows. And we will also have RK's evil twin, the RK of BSN Rams, oh, Rich Kurtzman. <laughs> because we figured evil twin was probably the best way to put it. No. Yes. No. He's actually a really good guy. <laughs> he is. Uh, Rich so is you're man. so you're his evil twin. No. There's no. Really, nobody's gonna take advantage of the dual RKs on the <clears throat> CSU and CU side. I want to see them at a uh, dueling pianos bar, the RK versus RK. We actually talked about this, me and Ryan, (laughs) uh, as a feature for BSN. Who's the other guy that can play piano on the buffs? It's Eli Stalzer, and who's the other one? Uh, George King. King, Have Eli Stalzer and George King play dueling pianos for a BSN feature. You know, you you and Kurtzman should make a video for next year's Rocky Mountain Showdown, and instead of, you can spoof it off Kramer versus Kramer, do it RK versus RK. Okay. Yeah. I like it. All right, excellent. Well, before we... Uh, Anyways, I'm yeah. RK1, he's RK2. Not 1A? Get it right. Or 1B? He's You're, you're Matt Saracen, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. I, Friday Night uh, Lights? Yeah. I, I never watch much of the show to when, be wow. didn't, when they moved the second season to, like, DirecTV only, that's when I lost it. Yeah. It's on Netflix. Ugh, DirecTV. I don't have time for that, dude. I'm trying to get out 84 posts a month. Wait, oh, I, I already got rid of the of the applause sound effect. I was going to do that again for you. Well, before we drop into uh, football and basketball heavy conversation, um, just a couple of points. To also, Jake contributes a lot to those 84 posts. Twilights, baby. Watch. They're the, hi- they're the highlight. <laughs> and the watches, of course. The, Watch. Yes. And did a George King Watch column, too. Video. I forgot. I was going to write like 10 nice things about Jake that to just drop, sprinkle in the show <laughs> one at a time. I so. like that. Later on in the show, uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do CU player Jeopardy. Okay. And I'm gonna pit you two against each other and Ooh. see. Uh, I got some good. Facts I read a on... lot of those bios. Ryan yeah. doesn't read as many bios. I got as some. I, do, I got I some good bio bios. You, yeah, you did. You did write some of the bios. Tell that story. Tell that this story. Is no, but uh, what was I just gonna say? Your hair looks great today. <laughs> That's what you were waiting for. That yeah. was the big, okay. I didn't even feel like that was a compliment. <laughs> no, it was sincere. Well, that's good to know. It was Matt Sincerison. Oh, stop it. Six Yes, there we go. He's, I like that. That's, yeah. that's the segue. He's it's the lovely. man. All right, Here's go me. on. 608 here on Radio <laughs> 1190 KVCU Boulder. And uh, so, gentlemen, let's, uh, before we go too heavy into basketball, because I'd say the latter hour and a half to hour 15 or so of this show is going to be uh, basketball based and, of course, centering around uh, CUCSU coming up this weekend. But. I want to talk to you guys briefly a bit about um, the Liz Kritza dismissal from the Colorado volleyball program because I think, personally, that's one of the bigger storylines uh, here at CU that's that's come out this week because under Kritza, you've had a, a very successful team but the dismissal of a coach. Yeah, I think it's a, a very interesting thing there in terms of it. Any way you slice it, it doesn't, to me, seem like it was a performance-based dismissal. Um, And that's an odd thing, but it's not always a bad thing. I mean, if there's a disconnect there between whether, you know, it's 
the athletic department and um, the coach or the players and the coach or whatever it happens to be, sometimes things just don't work out with a coach and uh, an athletic department. And I think that, to me, that seems like that was the case here. Well, all right. So we actually have Associate Athletic Director Lance Carl on with us right now. Lance, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? We, we certainly can. We certainly can. It's great to have you on. Lance? Thanks for having me. There we go. What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Still got us? Yeah, should I get off speakerphone? No, no, no. This is this is perfect. I had you on my speaker. We've been having phone line trouble, but we have you, so it's great to have you on. You are on with Andrew Hobner, Ryan Konigsberg, and Jake Shapiro. How's it been going tonight, Mr. Carl? Things are well, man. It's a Friday afternoon in Boulder. Can't get any better. That's true. That's true. So uh, I guess we'll get right into the questioning. Right as you called in, uh, I posed the question to Ryan and Jake about the Liz Kritza dismissal from the CU volleyball program. Um, what was it yeah. about Coach Kritza that made the administration uh, and the athletic department believe they wanted to move forward with another coach? You know, I think Rick stated it very well in our press release that, um, you know, Liz has done a lot for our program. She brought us from really a, a place of um, uh, insignificance, a place of significance. Um, but, you know, with Rick as our leader, um, we trusted his decision to, to make a, a move in a different direction at this time. Lance, Jake Shapiro here. Uh, JT Wagner is uh, one of the guys. Oops, sorry about that. JT Wagner is one of the guys that is going to be in line for uh, the job, possibly. He's one of the best players in UCLA volleyball history. He also played at Highland yeah. Park High School, is a great player there. Will you talk a little bit about his candidacy and what other candidates might be out there to replace Liz Krista? You know, if I would, I could, but at this time, um, I think I will be part of the first committee, but until I uh, get those names, I can't divulge anyone. Uh, JT uh, Winger will definitely be in consideration for our head coaching job. He's a great job here. We think he's a high-quality uh, coach. Uh, for our program. So JT will be one of those candidates, candidates we are considering. Uh, as far as the other candidates, I can't speak on those right now. Um, if you'd like to you know, revisit that in a week or so, uh, maybe we could do that. Hey, Lance, Ryan Konigsberg here. Uh, I wanted to ask kind of more along the lines of football and that sort of thing. And just talk about kind of your uh, promotion up through the athletic department here and your responsibilities now. So I joined the athletic department. Uh, I was Rick George's first hire in November 2013. He got the job in August. And Rick and I's relationship goes back to uh, my senior year here in 87. Rick became our director of recruiting. Um, I went away, had a cold cup of coffee with the Redskins in 88, came back uh, and finished my degree. I worked with Rick for two years with the national championship in 1981 when he departed from Vanderbilt. Um, he and I stayed in contact, uh, you know, uh, when he got the job, reached out to me. And, you know, for me, there's no place like home. Um, you know, I, I owe everything I have, uh, you know, in my business and professional life to see you. And uh, so it was a great opportunity to come back here and uh, serve the department. Uh, Ryan, I currently serve as Associate Athletic Director for Business Development, Community Campus Partnerships, quarterly non-game day events, and I am also a sports supervisor for football. So on the business side of things, Lance, um, you know, the budgets, uh, have you guys 
as far as football goes, um, do you guys think you're going to meet uh, the the benchmarks you set this year for the budget? Yeah, I think so. I think you know one, one thing we've what we've done is we've we've gone on the conservative side uh, of budgeting, and that's enabled us this year to uh, bring in a balanced budget um, to the board of regents, um, which is you know very impactful for us as a, as a department, athletic department. Moving um, forward, you know, depending upon our success in football, um, maybe our budget will change. Um, you know, we're having success in men's basketball. We think our women's basketball team to be uh, has, a, have a, has a very dynamic product we're going to put on the court this year. Um, but we all understand that in order for us to be successful here, we've got to win football games and, 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 and put a high-quality product on the field for our, for our fans and our alumni uh, and, and win some football games. Now, when, uh, when we've talked to Athletic Director George, uh, you know, he mentions attendance issues uh, in football kind of being, being a big issue and, and how it kind of does hurt the overall bottom line of the athletic department. Through six games, uh, Colorado hasn't had over 8,500 people in cores, which is typically a venue that, that does very well between nine and 11,000. So is there any worry within the business side that uh, attendance might suffer on the basketball side this year as well? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think what our fans have been seeing is an exciting uh, group of student-athletes on the floor competing at a high level, um, sharing the basketball, um, you know, very dynamic athletes, um, you know, great kids off the court as well. Um, you know, I think once the Pac-12 season hits, uh, we'll see a spike in our attendance and continue to win games. Uh, you know, one thing we noticed this year is, you know, when you're in Boulder, you have to you have to number one bring a, a high quality opponent to town, and uh, you know maybe our non-conference schedule isn't what a lot of our fans expected or or would like to see. So you know we're looking to address those things in the future. Lance, uh, Coach Boyle never has any shyness about calling out the fans. When you're on the business side, when you're in the <laughs> athletic department, do you guys kind of like to see it when Tad Boyle kind of gets the message out there a little bit? No, we, we love everything Tad does. He's a great representative of our university and uh, one of our, 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 our better head coaches that we have. And, you know, everything Tad says is the truth. And I don't think there's a, there's a, there's no gray area with Tad. That's what we, we really appreciate about him. And, and you get shows when our students are, are, you know, are so um, uh, excited to play for him. And um, the things he's done for us is, is speaks, speaks volumes of who he is as a person and a, and a, and a head coach. I think the the question on a lot of football fans' minds right now is staff changes, and, and uh, obviously you, you can't go in too too much depth. But um, the loss of Troy Walters, can you explain the significance of that? You know, Troy's a, Troy's a great young um, rising coach, and um, it's definitely a loss for us. But I ask our fans and our alums and our supporters to trust in uh, Coach Mike McIntyre and and um, his, you know, his collaboration with uh, myself and Rick George in finding the, the, the best candidates to come in here and, and um, not so much replace Troy, but um, bring a different ideas and energy and passion to the program, whether it be in the X's and O's or recruiting. Uh, we're going to find the best people out there and bring them here to uh, work with our student-athletes to get us uh, as many victories as possible. So to that end, Lance, uh, do you believe that the current staff now is suited to win more than four games next season and, and find that coveted bowl berth next season, or are changes necessary in the program? 
I think each year as a as an administrator as, and as a head football coach, you examine what was right and what really, uh, for lack of a better word, what was wrong, and you make determinations based upon that evaluation. I think uh, Mike McIntosh is currently going through that evaluation. We're supporting him uh, in any way possible that he asks of us. Um, you know, as Rick stated publicly, we believe Mike, and Mike, Mike McIntyre is the right coach for us here at CU. He's a man of character and integrity, and we want to fully support um, whatever direction he wants to go with his staff. So back to the uh, back to the business side of things, uh, real quick. How has uh, how have things gone as far as uh, increasing CU's brand? Um, also, making sure that the sponsorships are there. Um, the amount of uh, TV coverage and radio coverage is there. I mean, how, how have things been on the business side? Are, are people inside bullish about the future of where CU Athletics is headed to that end? Oh, most definitely. I'd like to give kudos out to Kurt Goldbrand and his, his Buff Club staff because, you know, we have unprecedented giving and stewardship to our um, SCI initiative uh, for 156 sorry. $156 million campaign for the Champion Center and the Indoor Practice Facility. It's unprecedented in CU's history to have that sort of fundraising campaign and fundraising um, passion for our athletic department. And that, that, that's all kudos out to, to Kurt Goldbrand and Rick George. Um, to answer the second part of your question, you know, I'd like to say that we recognize here in the athletic department that um, we have a section of fans who – have lived, breathed, and died with CU football for the past uh, 15, 20 years. And what we're trying to do is, um, you know, not rebrand ourselves, but make ourselves identifiable and um, trustworthy of that new generation of kids that are out there. Um, we know in the last 10 years we, we maybe lost a generation of young people who they love CU. They don't love the aspect of um, the wins and losses that they see. And we're working very hard every day to correct those things so they can be proud of um, being, a, being a supporter of CU and, and supporting that brand that we, we so proudly love. Lance, I know you got a kid in high school and another one uh, you know, who's, who's a youngster. And Can you talk about where CU is in the community compared to where it was when you were being recruited out of high school? You know, I, I came in from Iowa, so I, I basically found – Nirvana when I came here. Nothing against my home state, but um, you know, for the kids live in Boulder, um, one thing about Boulder and, and really Colorado in general is it's a transient state. So, you know, so many people move from California or Texas, and they have different college affiliations. And one thing I try to do when I when I you know when I I'm coaching my son's little league baseball team, which I do, and I'm active in that, or or out in the community um, doing community services, um, inviting those young people to our campus to see what we're doing here, meeting our student-athletes, and um, really getting a first-hand look at what we're doing behind the scenes that most people don't understand. Um, I think that's really impactful for, for young people. Uh, so that's really what, I, what my focus is, and um, once again, trying to get a winning product on our football field. So, Lance, you just mentioned the indoor practice facility, and you know people are yeah. starting to find see the pictures and take the tours and, and the – Consensus coming out is that it really is living up to the expectation that people had for it. How big is it to have this state-of-the-art IPF fully operate, uh, soon to be fully operational uh, for next season? 
you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really impactful. I think not just for football, but for all our student athletes to understand that they go in there and from our football weight room guys, we're going to have glass garage doors that roll up and go right into the IPF. So they can be training in part of the facility, go right into the IPF and continue their training. Um, it's going to be a, it, it, it's, it's actually, it's majestic. It's 110,000 square feet. It's, uh, we have 580 parking spaces under, underneath the, uh, the IPF. Um, it's going to be the first net zero facility of its kind in the country, um, which means it'll be uh, solar, but uh, powered by solar panels, which will also not only um, enable that building to be um, energized, but our shipping up to 40%. So we're excited about that. And it'll also help us, you know, perhaps be a, a Pac-12 host in the future for track meets as well as, Shasta track meets and, and other events we can hold there. So we're, we're very excited. You know, going back to my days when I played here, um, you know, we, we were in Balsh Fieldhouse, which is 10 foot waiting to happen. So, you know, Mark Wetmore's excited. Heather Burrow's excited. Our track and field cross country teams are excited. Our soccer, lacrosse, everybody's excited because it's going to benefit everyone. And not only with our student athletes, but it's going to benefit the community. So we're excited about that. And, you know, one thing I focus on is, as, you know, associated with community services, how can we engage, once again, those young students? And whether it be uh, holding softball clinics in there or North Border League baseball clinics, we can do a lot of different things in there. And we intend to uh, get out in the community and, and, and show them that we want to be a steward of the community and invite them in. Now, Coach, naturally with, with new facilities, or Mr. Carl, sorry, I might as, we might as well be calling you – Calling you guys an AD coaches anyway, because you're you're running the business of all of this for us, the fans, <laughs> and us, the media, and that's how I'm going to try and save it. <laughs> with all of the um, with all the new facilities coming in, uh, coaches at Colorado are kind of held to a standard of excellence now, and and now the goal is to make that next step forward. Coach Kritz obviously didn't necessarily fit um, with what the philosophy of uh, the University of Colorado athletic program uh, wants itself to be. Are there any other coaches that people should be looking out for? Do all co- do? Does every coach you have now fit the mold that you guys want? Uh, what a Colorado coach should be. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know we live by five core values here, and it's respect, accountability, passion, integrity, and dedication. And we feel that um, when we're looking to hire a new coach or in some cases, um, examine our coaching staff. We look at those criteria, and, and it just doesn't—it just doesn't mean wins and losses for us. Those things are something that George's embedded in our, in our in the culture of our athletic department, and we live by those every day. So that, that's really where we are as an athletic department. Um, Lance, uh, you mentioned this in passing, and this is a non-CU question, but you, you coached one of the North Boulder Little League teams last year. They ended up going to Waco. Uh, it's an incredible run. It's near and dear to my part, uh, heart. Can you talk a little bit about and uh, recall for our uh, audience how awesome that run w- was, experiencing that with your son and going that far and almost going to Williamsport in the Little League World Series? You know, it's really indescribable because, um, you know, to see those young boys come together as a team and, you know, we practiced uh, twice a day, like four days a week, building up to that tournament. And, you know, I give kudos to all those parents who brought their kids out every day and um, just trusted that, you know, Darren Woody Woolwine, who's a BHS graduate, North Bowl Little League uh, former player, they trusted their sons with us. 
and we were able to, you know, bring that team together, mold that, mold those guys into a team, and 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 build that camaraderie and trust that every team wants, whether it's CU football or North Carolina League. You want and need that camaraderie as a team, and those guys believe in each other, and we went as far as we could. Um, we got all that way without really a dominant pitcher, and, and so many teams, um, they, they, they had two or three guys throwing 75, you know, from 46, 46, and that's, that's amazing, which is equals about to 95, 98 miles an hour, and we didn't have those guys. What we had was we had a fundamentally sound team. We had kids who could fastball all day long, and they really, 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 really liked each other. And that's what it's all about in building a team. So um, I'm so proud of my son, Jackson Carl, uh, to be on that team and to be one of their coaches. And uh, to, those, that's something those guys will never forget. And me as a middle-aged dude, you know, I'll never forget that either because uh, very few people get to experience that with your, with your son and be so proud to be a part of something that uh, will, will hold with him forever. Lance, last one for me here. Um, you seem to be very well well versed in your job, and, and you're learning alongside who I think is one of the best in the biz, and Rick George. Do you ever have aspirations of, of running your own athletic department? You know, I tell people this all the time. I, you know, I've been very fortunate in, in my uh, professional personal career. Bill McCartney rescued me from Iowa when I was 17 years old, and growing up in poverty and without a father, and became my mentor and role model when I got here. Um, since I got my college degree, and I tell student-athletes this all the time, you may aspire to play in the NFL, and that's great, but the reality is you may never play in the NFL, so get your college degree, network yourself accordingly, and by doing that, I've been able to have every career that I've ever wanted. Uh, you know, prior to coming here, I was a director with the Department of Higher Education for six years and created my own position there where I was a director of student motivational outreach. So I went out and spoke to middle school students, high school students. I went to juvenile centers and prisons, and I created a motivational presentation uh, talking about uh, something I called the umbrella of success, which are seven successful people incorporate in their lives, regardless of whether they're undocumented, abandoned, abused, neglected, it doesn't matter. And was able to speak to 160,000 students in six years. And before that, I was a um, NFL scout for the Philadelphia Eagles, did that for four and a half years, and my kids always joke, they're like, Dad, you were paid to watch football. I'm like, you're damn right, I was paid to watch football. <laughs> you know, prior to, that, prior to that, I was in sports management, sports marketing. I worked with a firm here in Boulder called Goldberg Management under Brad Hunt, and he offered me an opportunity to start a football division and be a certified NFL sports agent. I did that and also was able to work with Michael Justin Peekaboo Street, Johnny Mosley, Dan O'Brien, Amy Van Dyken for a four-year period. So I've been blessed throughout my um, uh, career, and it's all attributed to what CU's given me an opportunity. And in the end, it's about your attitude and your education. At the end of the day, people don't care if you're undocumented, abused, abandoned. They care about your attitude and your education. And because I have a positive attitude and I'm an educated person and I treat people the right way, I've been so blessed. Associate Athletic Director Lance Carl. Lance, thank you so much for joining us. We, we really do appreciate it. We appreciate the insights as well. Appreciate you guys. Take Thanks, care, Ryan. You too. So that was Lance Carl, and uh, <laughs> and um, we got we got an interview on. Look at that. Good job, we're, guys. We're moving up in the world. Hey, you guys have never messed up an interview when I was here. You're a good luck charm, I guess. We, I guess. Need, we need you around more often. It's, it's the beard and it blue is. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so a couple of interesting things that um, that we kind of heard out of. Uh, 
Mr. Carl, A, the fact that the athletic department and the football team are, are coming in, <clears throat> meeting budget projections, which which is big, especially for this team. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had Rick George on, and he said that they were kind of conservative with their projections to start with, but just the fact that they're meeting them is a very good sign, I think, because um, in years past, it's it's been a problem uh, meeting the projections of revenue and expected revenue for uh, the athletic department as well as the football team. So um, it seems like the only place to go is up. Now, the one thing I did find interesting, and, um, you know, he echoed athletic director George's sentiments in why they parted ways uh, with Liz Kritza. Um, a couple things that I've heard from some sources inside that program, uh, two major points of contention were um, – were the players' perception of Coach Kritza and also the fact that uh, she didn't really get along with uh, with a lot of people on the business side, uh, in the athletic department, on the marketing side of things. Um, so it's one of those uh, one of those things where athletic director George, uh, associate AD Carl, are both being truthful when they're saying there is more to it uh, than wins and losses. Um, so that was an interesting piece, and uh, and I hope the my my question about what they look for isn't construed into um, trying to go out and and actively play gotcha because there are some rumblings uh, from sources of mine within uh, other programs on campus that there are some coaches, not Tad Boyle people, so don't freak out, but um, <laughs> there are coaches that are under a uh, a little bit more watchful eye, I will say, this winter season. Um, so it's just it's always interesting to hear from the athletic department. We have two more great guests coming up. Uh, but let's talk— It's going to be hard to top that. Yeah, really. That was a really impressive, really impressive guy. I'll just say he didn't, he didn't exactly answer the end there when I asked him if, if he wanted to, to be <laughs> an, an AD. But I, I think if he does— at some point, he's going to get that opportunity, and he would deserve it. And, yeah. uh, just to know, so the audience knows my relation with Lance. Uh, he coaches Little League Baseball in North Bowl Little League, and I'm on the board of directors. I'm an umpire there. And uh, Lance has been a great guy for North Boulder Little League for the last, I don't know, five, six years, however long his son and his family have been involved. And he's really been a great mentor towards kids. And you can see uh, his passion and his energy and his attitude wears off not only on the college kids, but the 12-year-olds, the 13-year-olds. And I think he's just a great guy to have around in the community. So on the football side of things, let's, let's kind of explore what, what, they, what A.D. Carl was kind of saying and also what a lot of fans are thinking about and speculating this offseason. Now, one thing uh, that has been you know, shown factually is that uh, Coach McIntyre is still in his coach evals right now um, where he will evaluate all of his assistants on his staff and then uh, after those evaluations are finished, then they make a decision. Um, if that decision is made and a couple people do have to go, I I don't like playing this game, but who would you think is, is most likely to, to go from this staff first, considering <clears throat> Troy Walter's now vacant spot as the wide receiver coach? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to go there, but I'll, no. I'll say a few things. One is I think there are going to be uh, more changes coming out, and, and I reported as much uh, last night after the news broke that Troy Walters was leaving. But um, I also think the the loss of Troy Walters 
could have a, a bit of an effect on what goes on there. You don't want to, you don't want to have too much turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to turn over the entire offensive staff or anything like that uh, would be too drastic for a coaching staff going into its fourth year. Um, it's too much new stuff. It's too much um, starting from scratch for for a a program that needs to win now Um, you don't necessarily have the luxury of saying okay let's bring in you know a whole new offense and do all this differently and this 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 Um, I think that's a bit of a risky risky move so with that being said I think that the like I said the Walters um, decision to move on and and I'm extremely happy for coach Walters he completely deserves that and it's really going to be a great situation for him there um but with that being said, I, I think it could have an effect on how they want to uh, keep a couple guys around to not have a full turnover on the offensive staff. And I'm actually wondering, uh, and I'm, I'm going to look this up right now while, while you guys kind of analyze a little more. When was I'm wondering of the last team that had a big offensive staff turnover that instantly uh, found success. Because you are right, Ryan. There, I feel like there is this kind of... I don't want to say romantic view, but that you know the the offensive staff is is such a problem that turning over all of them completely is all of a sudden going to you know get all these issues figured out and all of a sudden you go bowling next year. And I just I'm with you. I don't think that's the case. I think it's extraordinarily risky to let go. I mean, obviously there's one or two that well, might need but, it, might warrant a change, but to to say you're going to get rid of four or five coaches and 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 throw it pass I, I think that's too much the way you make it sound though Andrews you make it seem like the whole offensive staff is a problem and I've been saying that they're not no the he's not saying that he's okay. not saying that at all okay because you you said you know if the offensive staff is a problem but the I'm saying for I'm, I'm saying if there are over I'd say any any number over three in terms of coaches including right, Walter's vacancy right I, I don't that's, even but yeah. my point is I wouldn't even say that they deserve to lose their jobs I think it's more has to do with the offensive line, and it's very hard to coach a football yep. team yeah. when your offensive line well, changes why, every week. And that's why Mike McIntyre is evaluating his staff, and he's going to evaluate it down to you know down to the bone. And when it comes down to it, any evaluation of an <clears throat> of an offensive uh, staff member in this year is going to be handicapped by the struggles on the offensive line. And I, I think you know. It's it's not easy to call plays for an offense or orchestrate a successful offense as a staff when your offensive line has so many moving pieces, so many struggling parts. Um, and I think, you know, that's going to be the tough thing for Mike McIntyre is to decide um, is was this on the staff or was this really does it really boil down to the offensive line? Yeah. And, and I guess when you factor in that that offensive line, yeah, you can. You can point to uh, injuries being, you know, a, a huge issue, but I think that the development was was slowed. Uh, I wouldn't say slowed, but I don't think there was as much um, as you should be seeing out of a out of a Power Five team. Um, but there is something to be said for what did happen this year with a patchwork O line, with with Cepho being gone for those last couple weeks, with him really not coming into himself until. The game before the game, he got hurt, and you know, just injuries plaguing. There's, I'm not letting them off the hook by any means, but I'm saying that there is a, that there are some things that are that are out of the control of uh, of the coaching staff. Now I'm looking through 
I'm about to respond. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah. I was about to say. I'm. I'm gonna. Lo- I'm gonna look that up. So one of our loyal listeners, well, Buff Nick, uh, posed the question of if Auburn turned over their entire staff under Chiswick. Well, as to I'm win. as I'm pressing send yeah. uh, to back to him on Twitter right now. Oh, okay. I said uh, that that guy that Newton guy helped them win a national championship a little bit too. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> I, I I would say that. I mean, look, there. You can make the argument that there is somebody in the stable right now for CU that might have the ability to turn this offense around, and that person is Steven Montez. But oh. <laughs> I was trying to was see where you were. About? I don't know. I didn't know where you were. <laughs> I thought you were talking about a coach. I no, was no, like, no, no, what, no. what are you talking about? No, and He's going for Dino Gordon. Yeah, really. Steven Montez is Cam Newton. You heard it here first. Yeah. Well, you heard uh, McIntyre say before the season if Sefo Lufau gets uh, – but as much if he improves as much as he did from his yeah. freshman to his sophomore year, as his sophomore to junior year, he'd win the Heisman. Yeah, but he also said that he knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying in my in my reference to Montez, uh, you, you look at um, the last really good Mike McIntyre team and that San Jose State team that ended up winning 11 games. They had a great quarterback in David Fales. Um So it leads you to wonder if. When offensive staffs do turn over, if you have a great quarterback, how much is on the part of the great quarterback and how much is on the part of the staff itself for, for their changes? And that's what it comes is, down to. I yeah. mean, I always talk about the Peyton Manning coaching tree. How many how many dudes has Peyton Manning just gotten a job because he's he's so good that he, you know, he was so good. Yeah. Tier. You can pour, uh, pour one out for Peyton Manning. Uh, but so many times it's, it's one way or the other. It's, mm-hmm. you know, talent. Um, taking away from good coaching and it's it's great talent masking bad coaching and I think that it's so, like we like you hear so many times it's the Jimmy's and Joe's more than the X's and O's and uh, like I said Peyton Manning is a great example of that um, you look at Mike McCoy in San Diego he's probably gonna lose his job uh, what's his name oh god I, I, I don't know either way there's so many guys that have coached Peyton Manning teams and ended up getting uh, jobs oh I mean Adam Gase is going to end up getting a head coaching job soon, but he has done a masterful job with mm-hmm. Jay Cutler over there. So I'm just it, no, but it's true. Like you can you can make the argument that you, if you have talented players, they can they can make a staff the same way that you know a a strong staff might be able to make a supporting cast look better. But at the end of the day, what it falls back to is having a very good quarterback in that group. And I understand that that continuity uh, is a bit of an issue because people are uh, having flashbacks of the Dan Hawkins era, where if you hang on one year, one more year, is it one year too late? Um, I really, truly believe that Mike McIntyre with uh, Jim Levitt as his DC. And then I, yeah, you know what? I, we're, we're out of the season and I, I'm a sports reporter. I think that, Brian Linger and there there should not be much reason for him to be sticking around in the next year. I think if you look at what Jim Levitt has been able to do with that defense after one year, I mean they look, they still gave up quite a bit of points and you know they weren't you know, it wasn't like the purple people eaters, but it was it was a it was a change to a defense that was similarly decimated by injury and also the suspension of uh, Josh Tupo. If you have a good offensive coordinator uh, to come in and replace Linger, and on the level of Levitt, if you can even find somebody like that nowadays, because they are in relatively high demand, then yeah, I think I think you could I think you could make uh, make a case that um, you won't need Stephen Montez to kind of my, play God in, in a way. You know, my thing here is look at the offense from two years ago. 
and look at how successful that offense was. I mean, if you have if you take that exact same offense and stamp it on this year, you're talking about a bull team. That's true. Um, so That's very true. The number one thing that changed in that offense is the offensive line. It's what they plugged in. And yeah, eventually that, that does have to go back on somebody why the offensive line regressed so much. But that really was, besides that and Tyler McCulloch, who we all love Gucci. Gucci. But he's not a, a, a difference maker in terms of how like nine or ten points a game. Right. In fact, his replacement was all, all sec, was second um, honorable Pac-12 mention second, in Irwin. Sec- Oh right, right. right. Well, he was he was technically honorable replaced, mention, well, yeah. technically replacement, but I mean that's a different He's a little tight bit end, different, and, uh, right? But well, to me, I, I just I don't know. I, I know we we've watched the games and we've seen Brian Lindgren um, do some head scratching things, and I think that that he needs to be held accountable for that. But I also think his hands were extremely tied with what he was working what what he was working with on the offensive line. Yeah, I I would I'd venture to agree with you there because um if you look at last year having having Daniel Munner out there, I mean that was that was big in itself and having a you know I would argue a you're talking about a, a guy who's on an NFL yeah, an NFL practice 50, squad right yeah, now. just got named to the 53 man for the Chiefs uh this past week and um I'm I'm saying I guess the point that I'm trying to bring in is a is if you have a offensive line that's even marginally better than this one, then you're talking about a pretty pretty different offense. I mean, for as much as people like to like to kind of hammer Cepho and um look, I get it. Cepho does make some head scratching decisions sometimes, but if you watch him with pocket protection, he's a good quarterback. And you can say the same about Kate Absey too. Kate Absey turns in efficient, good performances when he's got protection in the pocket. But the problem that both of them had is that they never had any protection to start with. So I it remember, causes rushes throw, rush throws. It causes you to lock onto your, your X or your Y before you even snap the ball because you know you're not going to get the time to check down or find your second or third read. Um, you know, and so I guess we're all, at least I am, I'm kind of caught in, in this middle ground because, you, you know, there is credence uh, to what you say, Ryan, about the fact that two years ago this was a dominant offense um and and all of a sudden with a clear change at one set of positions you know then all of a sudden the the conversation flips but my question to you is do you think that that's just a stroke of bad luck or do you think that lies more on the recruiting uh offensive line recruiting is so tricky because you don't necessarily have the ability to to bring a guy on and stick him in and improve your offensive line right away. So more than recruiting in in terms of offensive line, it comes down to development for me. Um, you can you, I think they have a lot of talent on that offensive line where I think the struggle has been is in development and that's where that falls back on uh, on coach Gary Bernardi. So to me I I think the recruiting has been okay. Uh, it's not been great, but it's not been as bad as that offensive line performed. And to me, that comes back to development, and that falls on Coach Bernardi. So that'll do it for football. And now we're going to move on to men's basketball and, of course, to UCSU. And I welcome our guest, Ben Burrows, the Rumlin Buffalo himself. Ben, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. How's it going, Ben? Good to hear from you. It's going well. Uh, so far, so good with the basketball season, and uh, happy to be back on. So, Ben, 
What do you see out of uh, out of this weekend? Colorado's been playing strong. CSU has just dropped uh, two games at UTEP and Long Beach. Are you, are you confident in the Buffs going into this? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. Um, obviously, coming off of last year, a little scared. Uh, but uh, anytime you, you drop a game like last year at home against the Rams, you, you got to be a little nervous the return trip the following year. But that team, that Ram team, lost a lot. Uh, J.J. Vila's gone. Uh, lost uh, Behar now. Um, and now we get to go up there with a pretty a pretty strong, veteran, versatile offensive group. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see what the Bucs can do uh, on the road uh, now that they've really gotten into a rhythm this season. Uh, we saw uh, pretty good returns against Iowa State in what was essentially a role game. We saw pretty good returns down in Auburn. Uh, against a, a feisty Auburn Tigers team, I'm, I'm, I was a little impressed by how they looked. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go up there and see how we do. Um, yeah, Ben, this team's played five home games now. Uh, you've seen them up close, perhaps not against the most quality of opponents. But what have you learned about this team over those five games? Uh, I think the big thing I've learned, and it's not just the five games, but it's the entire season, is that. Uh, for the first time in a couple of years, this team is is really tough to guard. I think teams have to think when they when they when they attack Colorado uh, defensively. They for, for the first time in a couple of years, they really have to to game plan against a, a number of different options. Last year, it was pretty much just ski, um, and it was a little chaotic in the immediate aftermath of the Spencer injury two years ago. Uh, this year, there's so much versatility out of the wings. Um, that, that it makes Colorado a difficult team to game plan against and to guard. Ben, have you had a chance to uh, to read my story on Josh Scott from today? <laughs> I, w- I was interested. Yeah, I did get a chance to, uh, to peruse that. I was interested to hear his comments uh, or to read his comments, uh, especially in light of Josh has never played well against the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking As up a- his number. He's- as a CSU fan pointed out in the comment section of that article, 11 points in three games total. Yeah, you know, he's, he's averaging 4.6 rebounds over the three games, 21% shooting from the floor, you know, 4.3 fouls over 40 minutes, you know, and it's just he hasn't performed. You look back at the history of this program, you know, where, where Spencer really, where, where does Spencer been when he really make his mark? He was against the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he would step up in those games. Same with Corey Higgins. He would step up in those games. And he, apples to oranges, guards to forwards. But Larry Eustachie, in three years, has done a fantastic job in taking Josh out of these games. Uh, and, and and that's really what I'm looking for tomorrow, or I'm sorry, Sunday, is Josh Scott has to be there. And, and not just physically. I mean, have an impact on the game. He, he can't just be... Uh, you know, 0 for, what was it, 8 or whatever it was, 0 for 7, I think he was last year. He can't have that game again if Colorado helps to win. He's got to produce something. He's got to produce Josh Scott-like numbers. So, um, so, so to the versatile offense, you've got to have the full versatility. You've got to have the guards hitting their shots. You've got to have the guards attacking. But you also got to have Josh Scott doing his thing inside. So I guess what what my question comes back to is, do you like seeing that out of him? Do you think that's kind of his way of of – making it public, forcing himself to step up? Uh, a little bit. Um, I think I think he sort of assumes that as the leader of this team, both uh, in the public uh, sphere and both on the court and in, in with his teammates, he's got to say those sort of things. 
Um, but I think, yeah, there's a, there's a large part of that that has to be, all right, I need to step up, and how am I going to step up? Well, let, let's start saying the right things. You know, the, the team did that all off season. They said the right things. So going into this game, I definitely see that from Josh where he's trying to say the right thing. So, Ben, obviously we have uh, – there's quite a few players – uh, that can play wing this year, and it's it's brought this debate forward about who should be uh, the starter. And while some people believe jo- uh, George King, excuse me, should be uh, in that starting five, others point out that it really doesn't matter because uh, his minutes are in that region of starters anyway. What's your take on uh, on the whole rotation? I guess good problem that CU has. Yeah, I'm more in the second camp. I don't see a lot of virtue to the starter, per se, if they're still getting starters minutes. I really like the rotation Tad has built uh, between George, uh, Josh Fortune, and uh, and Treshawn Fletcher. You know, it's a true rotation between the three. Two of them are going to start. One of them is going to come off the bench. He just rotates it through every game. Uh, I really like that. Um, I really like the rotation he's built because they each bring different things to the court while still maintaining a lot of the same type of looks. They're both, all three of them are good shooters. Um, you know, Some of them are a little bit more defensive-minded than others. Fortune has been a fantastic rebounder so far this season. Um, so I, I don't think that George necessarily has to be a starter to be effective, um, but, but he still needs to be getting those minutes. And we, we've seen that this season. I'm, I'm honestly not that concerned about whether he's getting the true starts or not. Now lately, uh, George, you know, George King, right in the first couple games, got a, a huge amount of media play just by, by how much he was scoring. But in the last few games, Josh Fortune has really stepped up to be this player that a lot of people uh, had heard that he was going to be coming from Providence. Who's impressed you more in the first uh, seven games of this year? Has it been George King or Josh Fortune? It would be easy for me to say King because I did not have a lot of high hopes for him. I thought a lot of the hype into the season around George was a little bit of manufacturing process. Uh, so for him to step up and immediately start scoring and sort of living up to that hype uh, was actually quite a surprise. For me. I did not see that coming, uh, especially right away. Um, but, but Fortune, from a true basketball perspective, he does so many more things on the court. Um, you know, between he does a little bit defensively and he also – uh, in, the, in the way he attacks offense more more than just, uh, I think King sort of falls into a, a true shooter role from time to time. Fortune can do so many different things, offensive rebounds, you know, really attacking the rim that I've seen a couple games. From a true basketball perspective, I think Fortune is probably the answer there. Ben, a lot of questions uh, in the offseason were about the Buffalo's uh, backcourt uh, their guard play seemed to be a huge question, not only from a defensive standpoint, but an offensive standpoint. Dominique Collier really played well, I think, the last game against Northern Colorado, uh, but he hasn't been consistent. And I think Xavier Talton hasn't really shown anything, but the biggest surprise has been Thomas Hockey's and He's been pretty good. Can you kind of sum up the Colorado's guard play from your eyes and what you like and what you don't like? Uh, well, I, I don't like a lot. <laughs> the, point, <laughs> the point is... Uh, the point has been a, a constant struggle. Uh, the big thing with Collier is he's got to stop fouling uh, when he's defending. Um, he, when, when he's on the court, uh, he's doing a lot of good things offensively. Uh, and I think he looks really good with him on the court. He's just got to stop fouling. What, what is he up right now? Uh, he's well over five fouls per 40 minutes. 
Um, and he's been in constant foul trouble uh, before last game. Fort Lewis, he, I, I don't even think he had a foul against Fort Lewis. Right, I meant to say he was good against Fort Lewis, but I forgot that game happened. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and Xavier Talton, for being a senior, has uh, has been essentially a non-factor to this point. Uh, but Thomas Akizili, wow, uh, much, much like George King, Akizili has come in and just been something. And he's been a very good positive for the team. And I did not think we would see anything from him this year. Uh, he was a big question mark. Uh, there wasn't a lot of film on him. We hadn't seen him against domestic competition. We didn't know how that transition would work. Uh, he's come in. He's played a, a calm, solid point. He's been a good presence with the, with the ball in his hand. He's been a good shooter. Um, and he hasn't turned the ball over, which is something that uh, neither Collier or Colton can say. Um, at the end of the day, Collier is still the number one. He, he, he has proven that. Uh, and he needs to be going forward. Uh, but Aki, at this point, is my backup. And, and that's one of the bigger stories that I've noticed this, uh, so far this season. Ben, uh, how have you felt about attendance to this point? Attendance? Um, <laughs> well, it's uh, it's hard to feel good about it. <laughs> um, you you want to say that the crowds are going to come regardless of who the opponent is, but I, I, I find it hard to say to my friends who aren't huge basketball fans, hey, come watch us play Nebraska-Omaha mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon. That's a Broncos Sunday, and the game tips at noon. And yeah, Nebraska Omaha gave us a game, and it was it was an interesting experience. But um, but it's it's a hard sell. And and yes, you should if you're a true Colorado fan, you should be coming no matter who playing. But it, it's a hard sell, and, and I understand that non perspective. You can kind of have to uh, so. Um, attendance has been down, but I, I don't say I would necessarily be disappointed with it. I kind of expected it, considering the schedule that uh, was released. Um, I, you know, once it gets to conference season, I would expect numbers to get back up, uh, especially with the way the team's playing. Um, and, and that, I think, will be able to make a true uh, perspective and, and true analysis of the attendance this season. Do you think that beating CSU away will be – enough to give uh, to kind of give people that bump because a lot of the casual fans that I talk to around campus and that I'm friends with they for better or worse base a lot of whether or not they think the team is going to be good off of whether or not they beat CSU so do you think a win away is enough to possibly get people in the building for BYU uh, yeah I, I think it, 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 it certainly would be um, you know that's a big game that's a game that you circle on the calendar uh, I'm not a fan of the series on the football side and the basketball side. There's a huge uh, reason for it, and there's a huge uh, rivalry on the court. You see it every time these, these two play. It's a bitter, intense rivalry. Uh, Tad said that Colorado State doesn't uh, like CU, and, and I think the reverse is true as well. Um, if, if you go up into a game that is sort of a marquee, even though it's on Root Sports, and God, I forgot that channel existed until I looked it up. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, you, if you show well in that game, in that arena, which it will hostile, you're going to prove to a lot of people who have been, oh, sure, they're beating Portland. Oh, sure, they're beating Air Force. Uh, I think you're going to uh, prove to a lot of the doubters that, yeah, this team is different from last year, uh, and, and you will get a bump. Plus, BYU is a, a, a regional uh, heavyweight. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a name team for a lot of people. Uh, and they're a good basketball team. If you watch BCC basketball, uh, you know how good they can be. Um, so, not only is it important to have a good crowd next Sunday uh, when, the, when the Cougars come to town, 
Um, but I think we will see, especially if we beat the Rams on Sunday. What do you think the Buffs have to do to, I don't know about making the tournament, but convince you and maybe the general fan base that this non-conference season isn't a hoax and that they'll be a solid conference team. Do they need to go undefeated the rest of the way? Can they afford only one more loss, whether it be to CSU, BYU, or in the Las Vegas tournament? What do you think these buffs need to do to prove that they are going to be a, a solid team in the conference play if they even are going to be a solid team? Um, well, I think they they can't get swept to Vegas, um, and I and I don't. And I, I don't want to say two wins over the next week is, is critical to that, um, but at least winning one of the next two games, you have to. If you if you lose to both the Rams and BYU coming back here, that's going to be a hard sell uh, to a lot of people who aren't watching this team. I mean, you, you watch them, and, and you're you're in the building, you're watching this team play, and you can tell they're a better they're a better program. But at the end of the day, and we've seen this on the football side, uh, you have to win ball games. You, you have to win ball games, and um, and these are the games people are watching: Colorado State, BYU, uh, when they go and they play Penn State, and hopefully MU in Las Vegas in a couple weeks. Those are the games people are going to watch. Those are the people. Those are the games people are going to pay attention to. Um, so yes, those are those are hugely critical litmus tests, uh, both for the team itself and um, the perception of the team uh, going forward. Uh, yeah. So going beyond CU, uh, when you take a look at the Pac-12 standings, you have one team that's 500 in Stanford, and everybody else is above 500. UCLA just got a big win over Kentucky. Arizona State of 5-2 and two beat Creighton. USC's been a surprise. Uh, and then you have another whole host of teams that are one-loss teams, including Colorado. Is there uh, a team or a group of teams in conference that you've been most impressed with so far? And do you have, after seeing six, seven games this year, any... Uh, any teams that you think are poised to really compete in conference play that you didn't think before? I think it starts with Oregon. Um, you know, they, they they beat Baylor at home, which is a home game, but yeah, they beat Baylor at home. They built a, beat a pretty decent Valparaiso team. Um, they've been scoring points like crazy. Uh, that team just, uh, the, the Ducks really good. The for the first time ever, they've got a little institutional memory going on. Uh, plus, they added uh, Tyler Dorsey. They're a very interesting team to me. Also, um, you know, Utah got a big win against BYU. I don't think they're nearly as good as they were last year uh, without DeLon Wright. Uh, but they're still a tough team, especially in the Huntsman Center. Anyone's going to have to uh, – you're going to have to sweat it out to go and win in Salt Lake City. Um and and UCLA that 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 was a huge eye opener last night. I, I I I'm always higher on the Bruins than I think a lot of people are, uh, especially under Alford. But uh, but they they made a statement last night, especially after a season after they got just waylaid in Chicago by that same uh, Kentucky program uh, to turn it around like they did last night. That's a huge eye opener. Um, you know Arizona's going to be who they are. They're, without McConnell, Arizona's not as big of a a, a threat to me. They're still going to you know, compete for the title. Well, without McConnell, I don't think they're an Elite Eight Final Four kind of team anymore. Uh, but they're still tough. Um, you know, between UCLA, Oregon, Utah, uh, those are the teams that have really surprised me and or maybe not surprised, but intrigued me so far this year. They look like tough teams. They look like teams that can go to March. Um, so uh, they're, they're the teams I'm going to be watching going into January and February. Ben Burroughs, the Rumbling Buffalo himself. You can find him on Twitter at Rumbling Buffalo. Ben, we really appreciate you being on with us tonight. Can we expect to see you in Fort Collins on Sunday? 
Oh, absolutely. I'm taking the bus up uh, with a number of friends. Uh, hope to see a large CU contingent up there. If you don't have tickets, I'm pretty sure they're still available. There were 1,800 available as of uh, Tuesday night when I last checked it. Um, yeah, can't wait to get up there. Hostile environment. Good game, good atmosphere. Should be Go fun. Buff. We'll yeah. see you then, Ben. Should be fun, Ben. Thanks so Thanks, much. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, guys. Have a good Friday. Take care. Yep, you too. So that was Ben Bu- uh, Ben Burroughs. I was about to say Ben Buffaloes. <laughs> ben Burroughs, the rumbling buffalo himself. And, uh, gentlemen, it's – I got to say, I I liked a lot of what he said as far as um, the surprise teams that he's seen in the Pac-12. Very frankly, I've been really impressed so far. It might only be six or seven games against, uh, for some teams, suboptimal opponents, but um, this is going to be a really fun year. In the Pac-12, I mean, the teams look <laughs> teams look good. My favorite thing about looking forward to this Pac-12 season is I think it's anyone's. It's mm-hmm. literally anyone's for the taking. Um, every team, for the most part, has showed me something already, and a lot of teams have not showed me enough to make me think they're elite. So Interesting. I, I'm excited to see. I mean, there's nothing that convinces me that this isn't any anybody's conference for the taking. Yeah. 702 here on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. You're listening to Friday Night Live. And, uh, gentlemen, are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, I have one question for Ryan. Oh, okay. I was gonna, before we go into, before yeah, we one, go into CU Jeopardy. Ryan. Is Utah an elite? Oh, for God's sake. What? Is Utah an elite? It's it's replacing, replacing Utah with Joe, Fla- Joe Flacco question. Oh. Is Joe Flacco an elite? No. No to no. both. <laughs> They're both elite. Okay. Donald here Trump we go. said Joe Flacco was elite. He's well, obviously right. Yeah. Royalty free music here. Gentlemen, are you ready? This is CU Basketball Jeopardy. So, guys, I will give you a set of hints, and then whoever uh, I'll I'll give it fifteen seconds. Each of you guys give me who you think person is. Hold on. This is only CU basketball. This is only CU basketball. Is it players, players only? Players and coaches, I will let you know if it's a player. Okay? So wait, do we have to buzz in? I don't know. Just answer first. Yell. Okay. Scream. I don't know. Okay, so. I was getting tired. Now I'm all fired yeah, up. Yeah, all right. Get excited. So are you guys ready? Yes. Okay, this is a player. His best memory, the biggest moment of his high school career was trailing by 21 points in the fourth quarter and Tom coming Collier. back. Nope, coming back <laughs> to win the district championship. He is Xavier Talton. He's the only player on this roster who is the all-time leading scorer in his high school's history. Josh, Josh Scott. Scott. Wrong to both. <laughs> um Wes Gordon? Come on, you got to at least give me like something here. Sean Fletcher? There we go. Ding, ding, ding. Trey Sean Fletcher is the Dom all-time. had a big comeback in his fourth, in the fourth quarter of his. He did. That's right. Okay, so now. How did Xavier Talton not lead Sterling all, all-time in scoring? If, if he did, it didn't make it to the to the team bios. Well, see, now. Well, yeah, Addison, Addison <laughs> Gillum didn't play football according to the team bios until two years ago. This is Cause true. Because Josh Scott also has to be his school's all-time leading scorer. Unless his little brother passed him up. Make the argument, I guess, but... 
Okay, go All ahead. Right, here we go. We're going to go back to coaches. We're going off the notes, so I, I don't want to... If someone finds something this, else, I'll admit there's it. There's, like, music in the yeah. other room. There's music in my headphones. Oh, yeah. This is kind of throwing me off. Okay, well, get, get your head in the game, Ryan. This is a coach. At the university where he played, his 199 assists in his senior season ranked third all-time in school history. He is also fourth in assists and seventh in in steals. Rodney Billups. Yes. Dang, there we go. What, was that easy? <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay, I was fine. waiting for like a kicker that I was going to throw it right, all Right, like I was like, this is Rodney Billups, this is Rodney Billups, it's still Rodney Billups. you're going to be like, he also went to Fordham, and I was going to be like, free. Yeah, exactly. Well, the problem with the coaches is that there's just... <laughs> three of them? There's, <laughs> there's like three or four of them. It makes, it makes life a, a little more difficult, I guess you could say. Okay, so now we head out... To our next player. Are you gentlemen ready? Yes. I don't know if the, the audience is still listening. I think they kind of left. Why? They were never here. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Okay, so in addition to CU, his official this is worse visits. worse than the all-name te team, Ryan. No, it's the all-name team is. I like the all-name team. Wow, I, his I official forgot it was visits. a podcast. I almost said a word. I'm not supposed to. We're to SUNY <laughs> Buffalo Southern Miss Loyal Marymount. Wait, start over. Okay. You're talking his offers? His offers were SUNY Buffalo, Southern Miss, Loyola Marymount. Ryan's going to beat me on this He's one. initially, initially lift, listed at 215. Now he's in the realm of 240s. So Corey Miller? Close. Wes Gordon? Closer. Josh Scott? No, no. None of those are close at all. Well, <laughs> close, close, <laughs> closer. Not close at all. Kenan Gusinich. And our final... And I'm just going to give this to whoever can answer me first. In his senior year of high school, he led the state of Colorado in three-pointers. Dominique Collier. Xavier Tallton. In three-pointers. Brett oh. Brady. Brett Brady! Brady! Yeah! That was a tie. We're going to have to check the tape on the live feed. I cannot believe it took you that long. We got it. It was like three seconds. Tom Collier, Tom Collier, Tom Collier. I got it on my first guess. That's got to right. be worth something. I so, didn't throw out some garbage. Okay, so Ryan is going to be our winner. Yay. Why did you pick Ryan? <laughs> Why did that happen? I think it was a tie, Brett wasn't Brady. it? He answered Brett Brady right. That oh. was my clincher question. Brett Brady was the clincher? Yes, it was. Brett Brady. Brett Brady also won. you said won. whoever answered it first, not how many wrong guesses you could make. I was going to guess I'll, everyone I'll, on no, the no, team no, no, as no, quick I'll, as I could. No, I'm guessing whoever gets the answer right first. Brett Brady also won like a national three-point shooting competition. He did. Yeah, he's Brett Brady, man. Also, like <laughs> I don't know a better way to say this, but he's sneaky athletic. <laughs> which is which is code for he's white. Is he gritty? <laughs> but like, but yes, it's I also know like you see, you've seen like white people who look athletic. Nelson Spruce. Right, right. Yeah. Nelson Spruce isn't sneaky athletic. Like, he looks like he's built to do what he does. Yeah. But Brett Brady doesn't. It's just the long and short of it. Yeah. And he act like he swatted a guy in two games in a row. One time he got called for a foul, which was BS. But Brett Brady deserves more minutes. And Heard last game, first. and last game, Brett Brady did this. Oh, he's, oh. Got he's playing his call. Go crazy for Brett Brady. And he's able to get a scoop shot right off <laughs> with the right hand. That's some architecture right there, baby. That is. That is. That's that's foundation laid for you, <laughs> by the way. 
So we'll we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on to talk more about CUCSU right now, because um, we are expecting one more call in tonight from Rich Kurtzman of BSN Rams. And yeah, yeah, perfect. He even tweeted it. That's excellent. So we know we've got him. Yeah, we've got all those CSU listeners listening in. <laughs> Is this called? Uh, Friday Night Live presented by BSNDenver.com yet? It might as well we be. We didn't give honestly. Joe the money over yet. Oh, yeah, he wanted like 17 cents. Yeah. Hey, that's that's 17 cents. Hey, that's could... more money than me and Adam have ever put down on a bet. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So, boys, CSU, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's a rivalry game. And like most rivalries, you can kind of chuck the stats out. Josh Scott is averaging... If you round him up to whole numbers, he's going 18 and 10. With straight stats, he's 17.99.6 a game, points and rebounds respectively. But as Ben pointed out, 11 points through three games against Colorado State. So what needs to happen this weekend for Josh Scott to finally find his top form against Colorado State? Go ahead, Jake. Shap, what do you got? Sorry, I'm still reading. I was reading the Granky thing. Sorry. The, baseball? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I, Lance McCullers is on the get trade. Get in block. the game. Sorry. Get in the game. <laughs> okay. Ryan, would you like to take this? <laughs> Just start the question over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. We I, was, are I, was replying, I was replying to Amber. We are. Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't talk to Amber anymore. Well, can Josh Scott find his form this year against CSU while Rich calls in? Yes, he's been fantastic so far this season. Um, there's no reason to think that he's not going to keep doing what he has been. And I know CSU has a bit of more athletic players than what Josh Scott has faced. And really the most athletic competition he has faced is against Iowa State, and he struggled in that game. But if you look at his production since the Iowa State game, it's been fantastic. He had a, And I know it's against a D2 team, but he was really the motor that kept that uh, the CU Buffs running in that game. And it, had it not been for Josh Scott in that game, the CU Buffs might lose to a D2 team in Fort Lewis. So, all the way from BSN Rams, we welcome in Rich Kurtzman. Rich, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? What up, RK? Doing very well, yeah. We're, we're mentioning, uh, so, so by your opinion, Rich, who is the superior RK? Is it, <laughs> is it you or, or Ryan? Or is it uh, Ryan Krause who writes for Green and Gold? Oh, oh. Uh, all I can yeah. say is it's definitely not a CSU guy. <laughs> what do you got, Rich? Rebuttal? You gotta go with me. I'm I'm the older one. I'm the smarter one. Who has, better who has the better beard, Rich? Who has the better beard? Beard. Uh, I will have to give Ryan the better beard. So I, I'll give him that. But, it's just you know, it's just it's longer. Other category. We'll go with me. <laughs> so I'm choosing Ryan Klesko, former first baseman for the San Diego Padres. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, Rich, you go, you cover BS, uh, you cover CSU for BSN Rams. Um, how much of basketball have have you been able to get to this season? You've, I'm guessing, you've gotten pretty much every game, every practice so far, right? Definitely, been the last few games have been just practice, and uh, it's a it's been an interesting ride so far for Colorado State. So, has the uh, did the initial hot start has has that kind of been uh, dampened and cooled by the uh, by the back-to-back losses to UTEP and Long Beach. Oh, definitely. I think you know these guys are completely playing out of what Larry Stacey wants them to do, which is defense and rebound first. They're they're basically trying to outscore people, and for the first five games, they did outscore everyone. And 
the last two games, they haven't been able to do that. And I think they're finally waking up, or at least a few of them are. Gene Clavel said it last night after the loss uh, to Long Beach State that they have to play defense. Every question we asked them, defense. Their answer was defense. We have to defend. And so I think they're waking up to that. Uh, is it maybe a little too late or too too soon before the CU game to to um, really be ready and play that physical defense they need to? I, I think it might be. Rich, uh, I have a theory here, and I want to know your stance on it. I think last night that Larry Eustachy purposely tripped that kid, then realized that he was going to get in trouble when they looked at the replay. So he was like, let me get out in front of this and go say I did it on purpose and tell them to return, reverse the travel call. Am I right or wrong? Well, I think it was an accident. But I think he he originally thought – Get away with it, and they're just—they're going to give us the ball. I don't think that he did it on purpose because if you watch these Stacey, like since he's come to ten, um, to Fort Collins, he's outside the coaching box all the time. Yeah. And so after the game, I asked him specifically, "Were you on the court?" And he said, "I don't know. I'm not sure. I might have been. The coaching box is small, and all every." Pretty much every single game that I've ever been to with Larry Stacy as coach, they've asked that coach, you need to get into the coach, coach, you need to get in the coaching box. So I think he was probably a couple inches onto the floor. The kid tripped over his foot. And I think when the kid yelled at him um, and he, maybe he did have a little bit of a, a thought of, oh, man, I don't want this to go on sports or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really – I, I don't think it's intentional, and at the same time, the refs should have been watching. You know, I mean, for you to actually walk all the way across to the other side of the court, stop the game. It was a really weird uh, instance where it's like the coach stops being, not the refs. The refs lost control, uh, not only in that part, but at the very end of the game as well. And uh, you know, he goes over to the other coach and says, "Hey, I tripped him. Sorry. Uh, you guys take the ball." And then they hit a three. Long Beach did so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he did it on purpose, but I do, I do think that he probably thought, oh, my God, like I don't want <laughs> I don't want this to blow up into something. Did you also find it as odd as I did for him to, like, give himself credit for being so honest after the game? <laughs> you think he's such a character, and, you know, that's really one of the things, uh, one of the reasons I really enjoy covering him. Is you, don't, you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. Uh, you don't know what he's going to say. Um, he's, he's a real character, man. And <laughs> it's, it's, he, I don't know. He's in Larry Stacey land. And I mean, he's a great head coach and it's just, uh, it's the roller coaster ride kind of covering him. So, Rich, is this uh CU game against Colorado on Sunday uh, at noon in Fort Collins, the biggest game of CSU's non-conference schedule this year? Uh, I mean, you could pretty much argue that it's a big game of non-conference every year. They have Kansas State on the schedule. Uh, they already beat University of Northern Iowa, which I don't think people really thought was going to be a big-time game. And then they won, and then Northern Iowa beat um, UNC. So um, I, I think, you know, of course, this is the biggest non-conference game of CSU's uh, schedule and a lot in Fort Collins would be pretty devastating considering they're on the 
the back end of two straight losses right now. So when you look at the map, don't, don't we're, we're not trying to bump music you out here. There's just a jam <laughs> band playing in the room next to us. <laughs> What's that? I lost you guys. Oh, we just well. Can you hear the music in the background? <laughs> No. Okay. Okay. okay good. <laughs> so there's so in the other room of the radio station, we have a jam band that's out playing a live set for tape, and we can hear it, but we weren't sure uh, if you could. But looking forward to uh, this weekend's game, CSU is a team that uh, they like shooting a lot of threes, and for Colorado, the biggest problem that they've had in the last couple of years has been defending uh, from beyond the arc. Do you like this matchup for CSU? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think it's clear to see that defense is their biggest weakness. The only way that Colorado State's going to win this game is if they outscore CU. Uh, you know, they have to outshoot them. And in Long Beach State, I think two threes or something incredible last night. So, honestly, yeah, if CU can get rolling from beyond the arc, it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty for CSU. Uh, Rich, what is the key for CSU to win this game? I know CU and CSU have both had some problems defensively and rebounding, but they've been both pretty good offensive teams. And Ryan was saying this to me last night, that this game's going to be a real barn burner. Is it just going to be a matter of which team hits their shots or which team plays defenses? Or what do you think this game's going to come down to? I think it's going to come down to... If it's a close game, which I am, I'm thinking it's going to be close, nearly, and it's going to come down to who does the ball last. I mean, CSU is not playing, like I said earlier, they're not playing Larry Chase basketball. And he kind of said it last night, you know, he he lost. Like, why aren't, I don't, he doesn't understand why these guys aren't getting it. Like, all he asked them to do in practice, he never asked them to do, all he asked them to do is play defense. He, he, he runs them, and he, you know, asks them to rebound. And their whole motto is team together. And team together means rebound together. It means defend together. And then the scoring just is supposed to come, and it does. I mean, obviously, they're a great scoring team this year, and they've got a lot of depth when it comes to scoring, but they don't have the toughness right now that's going to take. And, I mean, I read Ryan's um, interview with Josh, and it was great because Josh said, we're expecting a physical game, and the more physical team is going to win. And that's that's smart, Tim, because that's how these matchups have been in the last few years. Well, no, that's not the team that's, that CSU has right now. They're not the team that's going to dive on the floor for rebounds like Pierce Horn uh, on used to. They're not going to you know get down and dirty in the paint. They were outscored um, something like 32 to 14 in the paint last night on the state who doesn't have a player taller than six, eight. So, I mean, Colorado state's lacking, not only height, like they usually are, but they're lacking that toughness, that edge, that willingness to really just get down and dirty to win the game. Rich, is there a guy on CSU who can give you some similar quotes about the buffs? Who can give you what? Give you give you some similar uh, hateful quotes about the buffs. Uh, you know, I think John Gillen would have been the guy, and I, I should have asked him last night after the after the game was over, uh, because you know last year after the game he said on anybody's little brother um, after CSU you know ended up winning, uh, he he really kind of took that tough part um, and. 
you know, these guys, they don't want to be considered anybody's little brother. And, you know, I think that's a great piece that, you know, especially Spencer Dinwiddie uh, kind of stoked the flames a couple of years ago, but bring that back up. And, you know, definitely part of rivalry. So, uh, Rich, CSU uh, lost a couple of very good players last year in, uh, in J.J. Vila and, and Daniel Bejarano. Um, how much are they missing, those two guys, right now? And are they missing uh, any other player outside of those two coming into this year? Well, the other guy, there were three big seniors, and Bejarano and Vila and then Stanton Kidd, mm-hmm. who really just came in last year uh, and was only around for one year. The other two guys played for two years each. Um and well, actually, Bayerano played for three years, but um, you know, with Stanton Kid and JJ Avila, what you had were guys that could stretch the floor as big men. They could get down and dirty and rebound, but they could also shoot the three and even the long two. And what that did a lot was bring the opponent's uh, big man out, which softened up the inside and allowed the guard to drive. I think. Uh, you know, Bejarano being that really athletic guard that can shoot threes and sometimes shoot too much. I think Giancovell has really taken over his role and, and is playing very, very well um, compared to uh, what Bejarano did the last couple of years. And, you know, a lot of people are Covell could win uh, Mountain West Player of the Year. Uh, he was off last night, and he still – he. <laughs> funny i say he was off he had 20 points and 15 rebounds last night <laughs> uh, so i mean he he played his heart out but i think what csu really is missing is that presence inside and so you know peel daniels the senior who's a little bit undersized they, they list him at six seven he's probably six six and he doesn't have a huge vertical and then you have uh the transfer emmanuel mogbo who came over from um, junior college and he's six eight and he's just raw. He doesn't understand defense of the line. That he doesn't understand like where he's supposed to be to take charges. And I don't think he understands how physical he can be down there uh, with grabbing rebounds. So I mean, I think they're missing that inside presence right now. So uh, you mentioned John Clavell, who is averaging uh, twenty-one point three points per game, eight point six rebounds per game, and three point four assists per game, while shooting forty-three percent from the field mm-hmm. and forty from three. Now, he's a guard, and guard play is something that has uh, led a lot of, has given a lot of CU fans uh, some measure of concern. What does it take to stop a player like Clavel? Does he have any weaknesses that you can see on the court? Um, you know, I think uh, he loves to shoot, and I think almost daring him to shoot from away from too far away. <laughs> Is, is maybe a weakness of his. When you ask him, like, what what went wrong tonight? Or um, if you ask him, like, do you think that you should have shot more? Oh, yeah, I definitely should have shot more. Do you think you shot too much? No, I need to shoot more. You know, like, <laughs> the kid loves to shoot. He loves shooter. to shoot. So he's, he's a good kid. And he just it's really trying to take over a leadership position. And so it's, it's going back up to starter to leader all in the same kind of quick time frame so I think he's still trying to feel about that he can't always just shoot the deep three if he wants to be a leader too. So Rich last question before we let you go uh, from mm-hmm. the from the unbiased objective perspective does CSU 
Uh, how close does CSU play this? Do they win this game against Colorado in Fort Collins? I think you know, I, th- I think it's going to be a close game. I think uh, it's it's either going to be really close or you know it could get ugly for CSU. We'll we'll put it at that. Rich, I, I want to put you on the spot here. I'll, I'll give you a score prediction if you give me give me yours. You got one at all? all right. I, um, I'll put I'll put it I'll put mine I'll put mine out there first. I'm going to say. I'm going to take Colorado, big shocker. I'm going to take them at, at the, a final score of 87 to 82. Okay. Nice. What do you got? All right. Well, you know, I haven't really, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought of this uh, until until we're talking. But I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with 81-80 CSU. Jen Clavel with the three at the end to, to win the game. Oh Ooh. man, that would be a dagger for Colorado fans. Either way, good game, good game. <laughs> it should be. We'll see you up there, Rich. <laughs> have a good hey, Friday night, Rich. Guys. I appreciate you for... Hey, yeah, have a good one. Yep. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Rich. So our final guest of the night, Rich Hi. Kurtzman from BSN Rams, covering CSU for BSNDenver.com, your one-stop shop for credentialed reporters with great hair and also good content. Gentlemen, hell yeah! What did you, uh, what did you make of of, First, of Rich's comments about uh, about CSU and about the game itself? I think Rich is pretty spot on, um, just like any BSN Denver reporter would be. Uh, <laughs> that um, was good. It's gonna be a close game. It's gonna be a hard-fought game. It's gonna be a brutal, physical, uh, uh, almost you know, a mental game in the, in the sense of whatever team comes in there with a bruiser. Uh, take it to you, punch you in the mouth mentality is going to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and both teams, it, I think the number of threes shot in this game is going to be ridiculous because we, when before we had Rich on, um, you had asked us if Josh Scott can get right against CSU. Well, I can just tell you this right now. CSU's number one goal in this game is to take Josh Scott out of it. So there's two ways this can happen. One way is Colorado starts shoot, Josh Fortune, George King, uh, Trey Fletcher are knocking down threes. Even Dom, Dom Collier is shooting the highest three-point percentage on the team right now uh, at like 0.3% higher than King and Fortune. Um, if those guys are knocking down threes, then CSU is not going to have the, luxu- the luxury to take Josh Scott out of the game. But if they want to take Josh Scott out early and the buffs aren't hitting their threes, they're not going to have any reason to stop uh, just pounding Josh Scott every time he gets in there. And that's a pretty easy situation to see where the Buffs could lose this game. Um, I know they shot the ball well against Auburn, but it's not, it's, we're not so far removed from Colorado not being able to shoot the ball on the road. This is true. And, and yeah, but I, I will say to that point, Josh has been doubled and tripled teamed at times this year. And the key thing with that is. Teams have struggled to stay in games defensively because every time Josh gets doubled or triple team, Colorado all of a sudden has this great ball movement where it's Akizili to King to Treshawn to Josh Fortune all on the wings and they're nailing threes. And that's been one of the best aspects of this team. If not the best aspect is their ball movement, their ability to get out of double teams and hit threes from the wings and the corners. And I think that's what this game is going to come down to is Colorado's ability to make shots. Yes, defense will be a huge and rebounding will be huge, but Colorado needs the uh, the availability to not only have Josh Scott be a factor in the game by keeping the double teams off of him, but by making the shots early so that Josh Scott has trouble 
uh, so that they have trouble. That's what I'm saying. Right, exactly. I'm just trying to reiterate it in a different way because that's you're right. That's what this game is going to be about. Um, and that's, I think anyone that's watched CU basketball this year knows that when Colorado is playing its best basketball is when they are hitting their threes, getting the ball to stop, and when they're getting their defense uh, able to set up. Now, well, and he, real quick, yeah. and on the other side of the ball, I was talking about how many threes are going to be shot. CSU literally doesn't know what offense is inside the three-point line this year. Um, I, I can sh- almost guarantee you Colorado wants, is going to throw some zone on them and just watch them chuck up threes because if you like long beach state did last night i think they're up five with about six minutes left and they went zone see csu did not go did not take a two-point jumper the rest of the game so i think the buffs are going to be completely content saying we're going to throw some zone on you and you're going to have to throw in those shots because we see that you can't do anything else now if you look at and and you're right as far as three-point shooting goes this is a team that is shot 194 threes yeah, as a team so far this season. I mean, they love pulling up from behind the arc. Now, there's going to be more than 50 threes attempted in this game oh, between absolutely. these two teams. I, I agree with that completely. Now, back to Josh Scott. You know, I, I personally, uh, you know, it's not like I had any Twitter followers back then, but you know, I took Josh Scott last year. I took him to task on Twitter by saying that he just wasn't built for these types of games because Josh isn't a, you know, a guy who really runs off emotion that much. You don't necessarily see him. And, you know, Spencer was a guy who he was never, uh, you know, he was never really huge, demonst- hugely demonstrative guy, but you knew there was some, you know, there was an underlying attitude there for the positive. With Josh, uh, prior to this year, I think you're starting to see a little bit more personality this year than in past years, but in past years, I've always felt or did feel at the time that he um, that he just wasn't really built for these rivalry games because he wasn't, he, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't, to me, have an edge. You know, I didn't perceive him to have enough of an edge to be playing up in this game, so I'm very interested to see how, uh, you know, this new attitude Josh Scott is because in... In past years, you know, you've never seen Josh Scott, uh, you know, sit in media day and say, you know, all I got to say to any doubter is Pac-12 first team and you yeah. know, that's it. Like, you, you know, you'd, you had never heard that from him before. It was always very, you know, we're, try, you know, we're trying to be a team and work together. And it was very line teetering coach speak type thing. And now you're seeing him start to open up a little bit in his final year in Boulder. And I'm excited to see if that actually pays dividends on the court against CSU because it is such an emotionally charged game. It's going to come in. Like I said, it's going to. It's on his wings to open up the game for him. Yeah. Because if they if if they don't shoot well, this is going to become ugly really quick, and Josh Scott's going to end up having to force it. And we've seen what happens in games when he has to do that. You know, it's hard for him to kind of get into a rhythm. But I think you're going to see a very aggressive Josh Scott early, even before they start knocking him down. Um, I think you're going to see him take some of that outside jumper that we've seen be so successful um, when he's willing to shoot it. I think you're going to see him really try and pound it in there. I mean. Rich just told us the the main piece in the middle of their defense is six foot six. Yeah. Uh, Josh Scott has a huge size advantage down there, and I think the Buffs are going to try and pound it to him early. And I know that CSU is going to double that, but uh, I think Josh Scott is going to really take a killer's mentality into this. And you talked about Spencer a little bit. He's a guy who based his mentality off of Kobe Bryant, and he's very, yeah. very uh, vocal about that. Supremely confident. That's right. always the word I see him use. And so, so I. I 
I think he was ne- he wasn't ever you know that demonstrative guy, but he always had that killer instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and Josh Scott is not the same type of player, but you kind of see a little bit of the, of a change in his eye um, trying to be that player, and I think it's great to see. Yeah, you see Josh becoming more of a leader this year. Josh has really stepped up. I think uh, it hasn't been. You know, going into this season, we had a lot of questions about leadership. Could Josh even be a leader from the forward position? I think Josh has taken over leadership of this team, and it's not even a question at this point who the leader of it, of this team is. But I think another big thing about this game, we talked about how Colorado State has trouble in their interior defense. Wes Gordon has been very quiet so far this season offensively. He's been okay defensively. Torrey Miller has been a really good guy coming off the bench for Colorado when he isn't biting his opponents. Um, So I think if Colorado can continue to pound the ball inside in this game, as as well as have guys like George King drive, because George King is lethal from about five to eight feet out with that left hand running floater jump shot is whatever he has. If Colorado can get the ball inside and get easy points near the bucket, as well as get to the free throw line, which they've been doing a lot of, I think they're going to have success in this game. And that's one of the keys to winning games on the road in college basketball is getting to the free throw line and getting easy shots. They can't rely upon the three-point shot, but I don't think they want to skew too far away from it either because they have great success there this season. Uh, You talked about Wesley Gordon a little bit. Can someone like get in Wesley Gordon's face and like push him up against a wall in the in the locker room before this game? Like Wesley Gordon needs to get <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wesley, Wesley Gordon needs to get pissed off. Like play angry, go dunk on someone, and then like scream in their face. Like he has so much talent and so much ability that I think if he was able to just channel it all into just uh, some anger, get some anger. Like Tory Miller, just like. Get get him fired up or Xavier Johnson, get him fired up because he's such an X factor when he has a good game. And I think he just needs I I want to see him just like display some aggression. I wish he bit somebody. You know, I sources of mine within the men's basketball program. I'm sure people you've talked to as well. Ryan and Chap. They've said when Wes Gordon is on, he is one of the most talented players on this basketball team, probably in the top three in terms of of pure talent and athleticism and I think it's a shame and I agree that you don't see that consistently enough out of him because over the years I've heard if he's if he's consistent and actually plays hard he's a kid who you know has a realistic shot at making the league but in this at his age now a I'm not sure if that's possible anymore with his age but b it's a shame that you haven't seen that manifest itself more consistently on the floor um the question for a while has been can he and Josh Scott coexist on the floor as two bigs together? And I think that's a it's an interesting enough question to pose because it, it really does um, lead you to wonder what this team would look like had Josh Scott never been here. You know, if, if it was just the West Gordon show or if they were put onto two separate lines playing two different sets of minutes, do you, do you think that it that it matters that much that that the compatibility of Wes and J40 together on the starting five. Well, I Often. think I, I think even J40 has um, played compatible has been compa- compatible this year because he's played with the second unit too with Tory Miller and he's looked pretty good playing with whoever he's playing with. I think offensively, Josh and Wes have a hard time fitting. Ryan was just about to say that, and he's been saying it for a long time, and I agree with him. But I think there's some chance that there's potential for that to change because 
Josh Scott has uh, taken the ball a little bit more outside this year. He's hitting uh, 15-foot jumpers again, which is something we didn't see him do last year because he had so many back problems. But Wes Gordon hasn't really gotten low yet. He hasn't gotten into that 5-foot area. He keeps getting the ball out high. He keeps almost playing like they're playing four men out. And I think it's going to be key for Wes Gordon to get the ball closer to the basket. And that's one of the areas why Wes Gordon struggles is because he gets the ball so far away from the basket, so he's not really a threat to score. So if Wes can find a way to get lower and Josh can find a way to almost balance that out, I think they're going to be very good together. But that is yet to happen, and we're, we're still waiting. It's been three or so years. So Yeah, uh, offensively, it's, just, it's not. It's not an ideal set. Um, but... It's no secret that uh, offense isn't Tad Boyle's priority, and Tad Boyle's priority is defense. And defensively, um, the, however you look, that they're a dynamic duo defensively is really what it is. Um, Triple D, that defensive dynamic duo. Uh, nice. I think, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I like that though, because the last word is duo and it's three Ds. It's yeah. It's whatever. It's not <laughs> ideal. Uh, anyways uh, this is what happens when I bring you two on the show together their rim protection is so good when they play in there together that you just you have to kind of to roll with it Mm -hmm. Um, uh, unfortunately their their rim protection isn't going to be worth much against CSU because CSU has no interest in getting to the rim Mm -hmm. but um, so I think this could be the game where you see Tad throw out the mighty three wing lineup where he puts in Josh George and Trey all at the same time. Um, I wish I still had the ding sound effect up. Right. So, <laughs> we need uh, drops, man. He, I think he actually is going to throw that out there this game mm-hmm. um, because they're like I said, they are not going to have to worry about rim protection. CSU, see, I watched CSU miss two wide open guys like on cuts to the to the lane. They didn't even look at them. They just continue to throw it around the around the outside so they're just going to shoot threes all day and if they're going in it's going to be a, a tough game for CU and if they're not then I think the Buffs could run away with it. And I think something that shows you that they will probably put this lineup out of three wings and one of them being at the four is that late in the game against Fort Lewis that they had George King yeah I'm a little off I'm like off kilter but late in the game against Fort Lewis they had uh, George King playing the four for a little bit and they did that with Trayshawn Fletcher for a couple of minutes there so they've previewed it just a little bit but while they were doing so they were playing three guards um, I think they didn't want to break out that full lineup yet so they kind of take CUS, CSU by surprise but they have toyed around with playing one of those wings at the four spot and I don't want to say that it's not worked because it has yeah, and there's nothing. I don't really see a downside to it, especially in this game. Um, you can play. You can play George at the four, um, Josh at the three, and Trey at the two, or however you want to do it. But um, you put Josh Scott down on the block, and you have uh, Dom or Akizili running it up top. That sounds. I mean, that sounds great to me. Yeah, I, I think that sounds like maybe one of the best lineups you can put on the floor. Now, I think guard play, and and I and I think you guys can agree, guard play is going to be huge going into this game. Dom Collier, uh, as Ben Burroughs mentioned. A lot of struggles this season. He leads the team uh, with 17 turnovers, and uh, second and third to him, uh, or George King with 16, Josh Fortune with 14. Now, this is a good, a pretty good three-shooting team that CSU has, and it's been no secret in years past and with this year that Colorado does have trouble defending the three ball. So is there any concern that you guys have? Because, yeah, CSU is going to spend a whole lot of time behind the arc, but Colorado does struggle defending outside on the perimeter. Is there any? Do you guys have any? Do you guys? 
have any concern going into Sunday about that. I know that, that it comes off a lot of times as they just struggle defending the perimeter, and oftentimes they do. But what I think you have to keep in mind is teams cannot shoot uh, like over 50% from three for an entire game. It's just, it almost never happens unless you're the Golden State Warriors. Um, so the buffs are okay with a team coming out and hitting, you know, four out of their first seven threes or, uh, you know, six out of their first 10, whatever it is, um, because they know eventually that's going to regress back. Um, and as long as it's not just wide open three after wide open three after wide open three, um, you can live with the team living, living or dying by the three because in the way that the buffs preach uh, rebounding, they feel pretty comfortable that that team is eventually going to die by the three. What they lack in perimeter defense, I think they make up for in rebounding, especially from their wing players. Uh, and you saw this with Trayshawn Fletcher, Josh Fortune almost had a triple-double that one game. Uh, George King's been great on the boards. They, they play a little bit of off. They, we all know they play a little off on the wings uh, of the three-point arc, but they go hard and crash the boards, and they create extra possessions for themselves. And with this high-powered offensive team, I'd almost sacrifice in a way perimeter defense in ordinance to get more boards because you want to get yourself more possessions. Um, it's not ideal and it's not something you want to keep doing, um, giving teams free threes or, or free mid-range jumpers, but you know they're solid in the interior and that they're going to go get rebounds. So if a team goes 40% from the three-point line for a game, there's a high likelihood Colorado could still win that game. And I think that's a really good situation for Colorado. Obviously, Tad Boyle wants to see that number around 33%, but it is a good situation for Colorado because they have superior athleticism, especially against a team like Colorado State. Now, offensively, there's no doubt this team has been great, right? Uh, the one thing that I, I guess I'm still a little bit cautious about going into this uh, is everyone, you know, we're all saying offensive battle. And, and from the stats and from what we've seen, it looks like that that is going to happen. But last season, I kind of felt like it was uh, that, that it, you saw the same as what we're seeing now. A lot of points put up on the board against inferior competition. And once they get to any real legitimate type of competition, uh, your scoring isn't in the 80s and 90s anymore. And we saw that the very first game against Iowa State. Are you guys fully convinced, because frankly I'm not fully convinced, that this is going to be an offensive battle? I mean, I, I don't think that both teams going off the score predictions that you and Rich had, Shav, I don't think both teams are scoring into the 80s here. I think there's going to be some semblance of, of defense played in this in this game uh in this game because you know it, it's just off a pattern from what we've seen you know lower lower division uh teams you know colorado shoots the ball out of the out of the gym with but once they reach teams that they can compete with they're not putting up 80 90 points a game yeah uh, i think this team has the firepower to score that many points against anybody um the reason i would hesitate to put this game in the 80s is just because it's a rivalry game and in rivalry games um the intensity on defense picks up the whistle hopefully and usually comes off a little bit you're not getting to the line quite as much as you would like to um so i think in this game you're gonna see a few more missed shots i don't know colorado hasn't always shot the ball great up there in moby so i think i think it's still going to be uh, a relatively high scoring game but i think it's more going to be in the 70s um mid 
low to mid 70s type of game just because you know it, it is a rivalry game and there's it's such a loud crowd both teams are going to be locking down um whenever they get a chance to yeah, the reason I put the number up so high is because I really haven't seen anything that tells me otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. The first game, they only scored 62 points, I believe, or something like that. And Josh Scott basically didn't score that game. And, you know, if you at, let's say he scores 10 more points at 72 points um, and that's on the road in a tough environment uh, in the team's first game. And they really don't know what they have yet. And they're still trying to gel. Ever since then, they've scored 80 points in every single game. That's why I say it's going to be over 80. And two in the 90s. Right. And Colorado State hasn't really shown that they're a good defensive team, but they are a good offensive team. So I think this is just going to be a total barn burner up and down the court. Uh, But you are right. Colorado never shoots the ball well in Moby, and guys get a little bit tense and uh, tight during these rivalry games. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this game come down a little bit into the 70s. But I think these teams are just going to straight out and fly, and the big players are going to be making big time shots, and both guys are going to, or both teams are going to come out trying to want want this game more than the other team, and it's really going to be a game that you're going to want to watch. Unfortunately, it happens during when a lot of people are watching football, but uh, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting college basketball games from a Colorado basketball standpoint for the year. Well, the thing about having it on route that I think is is a positive is that route. Root Rocky Mountain is really centralized in this area. Uh, and so the people that are going to watch it are going to watch it. Um, and the fact that uh, you don't have the Pac-12 and that lack of direct TV restricting that is is going to be pretty good for a lot of fans that want to watch this game but haven't been able to watch it when it's been a Coors Event Center in the past. Now, 14 minutes left in the show. It's 7.46 here on Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. I'm going to go through what I what I'll call the all buffs thread of the week. And uh you know I I was email chain theater. Well, you know I I was considering doing something like this uh a few weeks ago and making it kind of a regular installment on Fridays is finding uh what I've considered to be uh one of the better all buffs threads that brings a good subject in and we can kind of pull it up and and talk amongst ourselves about it. I think one of the threads that I think is the most interesting, uh, even though it it is very early to be discussing, um, is the thread uh, titled Pac-12 Player of the Year. And, you know, it is early. We're we're six, seven games into the year. Uh, Some teams like UCLA have, have gotten to eight, but the whole story is that it's still early. But there's a couple people, including Josh Scott, in my opinion, that are kind of sitting on this list. You know, you have a guy, guys like Jakob Pertl or Gary Payton II, um, uh, who else? Um, Wallace. Uh, Ty- uh, Tyrone Wallace. Tyrone Wallace over at Cal. Tyrone uh, Smoochie Wallace. Yeah, guys <laughs> Guys like That's that. Ty Royal. Ty Royal Smoochie Wallace. If you could name, if you could name his college, I can... Uh, I'll... Penn State. No, that's Hingle McCringleberry. Hingle McCringleberry. <laughs> um, so to go off our All Buffs thread of the week... Do you believe that Josh Scott, if he continues his play like this through the season, has a has a is a legitimate contender for Pac-12 Player of the Year? Yeah, I mean, he's averaging 18 points a game right now. Um, if you average 18 and upwards of 10, if you're averaging a double double, you're gonna get uh, some serious consideration. Um, I think uh, a dark horse candidate is someone like uh, Bryce Alford because. Of I th- of what we've seen UCLA can do, and they're going to give it to there. There's a chance that the someone on that team is going to be in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know I think it 
Josh Scott has a really good chance at getting up there. Uh, it's just going to come down to consistency for him. And what we've seen so far is you take out that Iowa State game, and he has been very consistent. But like you pointed out, they really haven't played anybody um, besides Auburn, which actually was his best game. Yeah, you know, He was outstanding in that game. So, you know, throw together a good game against CSU, throw together a good game by BYU, have a good showing in that Vegas Classic, and then you're definitely going to be front, uh, front and center on the radar going into conference play. Yeah, I'd have to say that Josh Scott has All-American Team 1 talent. He has the ability to be a top-five player in the country, um, especially as a senior. Um, may, maybe he's not the one, and you know, he's not like the one-and-done guys because he's a more refined college player, but he certainly can be one of the best college players in the country, and I think he's showing what he can do when he's healthy, and I tweeted this during the game against Fort Lewis. When Josh Scott is healthy, he is the real deal. He's a different player, and he looks amazing this year. And I would have to say that, you know, if you're handicapping the race for Pac-12 player of the year, I'd probably put him in the top three uh, right now, and uh, we'll have to see how he does in the latter half of non-conference. But it's hard for me to think that Josh Scott would, uh, barring an injury or a setback, would uh, would somehow not be in the top three consideration for Pac-12 player of the year. Um, and, and going into Pac-12 play, it'd be really cool for Colorado to have another storyline, some, something along that story uh, of do they have one of the best players in the conference and in turn the country. You know, a friend and I, we joke a lot about what what would happen of, of CU Buffs, uh, you know, dream scenario of Josh Scott going to the NBA and getting picked up by the Spurs. Um <laughs> But it, it's true. He he does have that talent and ability, and it comes down to consistency throughout the year, which really is something that distinguishes the good players from the greatest, who is able to do it uh, night in and night out. Now, something that I think Josh has always uh, not had is kind of the the de facto. Uh, you know, he he. I don't think he's been that guy uh, before this year. I, I never I never thought he was that guy or was viewed by by teammates uh and by coaches as that guy. You know, he he had he had Dre his first year, then Spencer, then Ski. Now it's finally his opportunity. And I think we're starting to see um a much more consistent showing Sons Iowa State out of him um of finally being that guy. Frankly, Iowa State for him personally, I attribute to uh you know, nerves of of being of, of Finally, being that guy, you know, and and he did struggle. I, I, I you know, no, I, no, I, I was gonna go the other way. I, what, what I just is, think it was think a total. It was? it was just a total aberration. Like it, it wasn't that he was. He was getting everything he wanted, and yeah. it just wasn't going in. And it was, it was like painful to watch because he was at the rim, and you know, he drops it, and it just hits both sides of the rim and pops out. He like didn't have his legs under him, it was and just, that could happen in the first game of the year. It was just That's, weird. Yeah. I, I thought it was just like a total. A total aberration of just an outlier in terms of just one of those games where nothing was going to go well, in. What, what I'm getting at, I didn't mean to say no, that. No, it's no, no, I think it's, I agree yeah, with you. It's, it's, it was a fluke, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say, is that this, that wasn't, uh, you know, dis, Iowa State was a good team. They still are, but that doesn't, you know, it's not saying that, oh, Josh got had his one chance to play against the top team and, and he, you know, put up a, he put up a 
bad. Well, he didn't even put up a bad line. He put up a pretty solid line. It was but, eleven and ten. Yeah, he still he still had a double double. But he was but, five of sixteen. Exactly. But the the overall but I love that it's, it, it's 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 a fluke that I, particular yeah. game was. But I love that he took sixteen shots when it wasn't going down for him because he really was getting wherever he wanted on the court. He was absolutely. And he, that spin move was working for him, and he just uh, just it, was, it wasn't going in. It's it's. Hindsight twenty twenty, but I mean that yeah. that shot falls for him that night. The Buffs win the game. Oh, absolutely, and and overall, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that now that he is the guy, I think we're gonna finally get to see Josh Scott unleashed in a way. We're finally going to see what we have all been talking about. What national writers, when they mention Colorado, they talk about Josh Scott. What they expected to see, what we've expected to see. It's finally coming to fruition with him as the guy, as the center, the linchpin of this offense and of this team in general. Now, so yes, he makes a very compelling case for Pac-12 player um, of the year. Now, I guess with with only with what seven minutes left. No, no. What do you what do you guys want to talk about? Because we've kind of I think we've kind of. Not baseball. We're not. We're not I doing, was about to. We're not. Uh, doing I thought you were about to say we covered the bases. I'm sorry. We're not doing Granky. No, we did not cover the whatever. I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain you right now. Um, <laughs> I was going to go listen to this concert going on next door. Yeah. Right. Um, I for, tried to go get us Kool Aid. That's why I left for a second. They uh, ran out. Oh, we should have gotten. I some know they played over our entire show and we didn't even get Kool Aid. That's really unfortunate. Well. CU plays CSU uh, this Sunday. The game is going to be on Root Sports Rocky Mountain. Um, I guess I guess we've kind of covered it all. You know what 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 you see is what you're going to get out of uh, out of this game. You're going to see a big three point shooting effort from both teams. You're going to see uh, a charged uh, group of guys playing against one another. You're going to see the Moby Arena. Uh, rocking and hopefully a sizable CU contingent uh, up in Fort Collins, and you're going to see whether or not play the CSU's players uh, follow what Coach Larry Eustachia is preaching, and you're going to see if CU can continue the form that they've had uh, outside of the Iowa State game this season. Now, I guess my final question: Let's, yeah, we've already got your prediction, chat. You want to do predictions, Ryan? Sure. Sweet. Um, I'll say this game ends 75 uh, 71, Colorado. Um, and I think, and I, maybe I shouldn't be going off off of my original prediction because before the season I said that they were going to lose, and I still think it's a, it's a very good possibility yep. that they're going to lose. But it, this is a much, much different team than what I expected going into the season. Um, to me, I, I just think this game is so huge. Um, and I think Colorado fans hate when you overhype the CSU game because they always want to kind of pretend like they don't care about CSU that much and, and this, this, and this. But in terms of perception of the program, in terms of getting the fan base on board, in terms of putting together an NCAA tournament resume, this game is massive. Yeah. Um, it's one it's of... It's going to be huge. It's one of your two chances to get a quality quality uh, road win in the non-conference and if you can go 2-0 and in those games, then you're feeling pretty good about yourselves um, in terms of a, of a tournament resume heading into the conference season. I just think that if they lose this game, all the questions are going to come back up about this team. Well, did they just have one good game against Auburn and then beat up on some inferior opponents? 
Um, and then you start to worry about, oh, well, if they lose that BYU game, then we're talking about the same things we talked about last year where they squandered these opportunities in the non-conference, and all of a sudden they're fighting a huge uphill battle trying to put together a tournament resume in the in the conference season. So I know that it's going to be a hostile environment and anything can happen, and you don't want to put too much pressure on a game like that where anything can happen. But to me, um, this is a really, really, really huge game for this program if they want to stay on the trajectory that this season looked like it's going on. Now, I actually, as you were talking, I, I kind of thought of something that is actually worth uh, worth discussion in these final three minutes. One of the biggest critiques of the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I don't think, is in the perception of CU-CSU being a rivalry. I think it's it being in Denver, and a lot of people are very—they uh, dislike the fact that it gets pulled away. Basketball goes to Moby or it comes to Coors. You have that non-neutral zone aspect where you're going into a, a, a packed house regardless of if it's in Boulder or in Fort Collins. Do you think that this is – because we've debated on this show before, especially the week leading up to the Rocky Mountain Showdown, whether or not CUCSU is a legitimate rivalry. In football, I, it's – I guess you could say it's arguable with the games consistently in Denver, but with the games back and forth between Fort Collins and Boulder, do you find this to be a rivalry in basketball, a true rivalry in basketball? It's it's absolutely a rivalry, yes. and and you see it in the way that Tad Boyle talks about the game. You see the way that the players talk about the game, um, and the 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 fact of it is, I think less than one being in Denver and one being on campus to me is more about uh, both of these teams being legitimate programs. Uh, both of these teams are respected programs in their conference, and you've seen how when that happens, this this rivalry really ramps up. Um, I think the ultimate goal for Colorado is to uh, kind of rekindle that rivalry with Arizona that we saw, saw start mm-hmm. to flare up in the Spencer Dinwiddie era. But I think right now this is this is the the, the most level rivalry that Colorado plays on the basketball court. Um, if they're able to, you know, kind of get Arizona at home this year and kind of stick with them, which is so tough because they just reload every year, but kind of stick with them and have a, you know, a three out of four or against them or something, then that rivalry can really get going. But as of right now, this is the basketball rivalry for Colorado, and that's one of the reasons why and it's I the do same say, in football, to be honest. I, I, I even more so in, in, in basketball say this because the guys stick around at CU and CSU. They don't go one and done. That is so you, true. So you have four years of these guys going against each other, and even in the Pac-12, you don't necessarily have that because there's a lot of one and dones. So It's a little different, though, for CSU since they poach Juco so often. Right, but still, they go against each other you know, twice, and you know all they hear about is each other, and I don't think that's true for football. I don't think the Rams are, are as respected in football because of their conference as they are in basketball. I think... Uh, the Rocky Mountain or the Mountain West gets a lot more love in basketball as they should Absolutely. than they do in football. Um, so I, I do think it's an actual rivalry in basketball, and I don't think it's just because they go back and forth. I think the players legitimately don't like each other, and you see that with a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie consistently calling them little brother, which still hurts it's, CSU fans. It's really, and it, it's really not the players as much as it is the fans. Right. And I think. Um, that might be another reason why it's more of a rivalry on the basketball court because the basketball players go to the football game and that's when they learn to hate CSU mm-hmm. fans and that's when everyone learns to hate CSU fans to be honest yeah, because CSU bad. fans are insufferable it's very so true. 
I think that's when, I mean, it's like I wrote today, it started with for Spencer Dinwiddie when he got mooned at the football game. Well, it started for Josh Scott, or not started, but it, it developed for Josh Scott when he got, you know, he when he they're talking smack to him and he can't do anything back because he's Josh Scott. So you've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Sunday, December 6th on Root Sports, Rocky Mountain, 2 o'clock Eastern Time, Noon Mountain, CU, CSU, get excited. It is the weekend time. And man, I'm excited. Anybody, oh, yeah. anybody else excited? What's this right here? I'm hoping this... it for it to be a short December, unlike Adam Dirt's Counting Crows. Yeah. And I should have put that on, actually. This is Hold On by Holy Ghost, featured on the Grand Theft Auto 5 soundtrack. For those of you that are video game fans, that'll do it for us here. For BSN Denver's Ryan Konigsberg and Jake Shapiro, I am Andrew Hodmer. You can find us on Twitter at Ryan Konigsberg, at Shapalicious, and at A underscore G underscore Hobner. That's going to do it for Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. We hope to see you guys next Monday where we will unpack CUCSU, talk more basketball, and some football news that may or may not come up. Silly season for football, main season for basketball. Get excited. You're listening to Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. BSNDenver.com. <laughs>